Welcome back to the 45th episode of Chess Journeys, Tales of Adult Improvement. Here at Chess Journeys, we love to highlight the growth, the peaks, but we also recognize that plateaus are the norm, and we explore them, and we even dive in deeper into the pits of despair occasionally. <laughs> I believe I am out of my pit, thank goodness. Maybe it's just a regular plateau, wouldn't that be great? Uh, if you want to support the show, you can go to Patreon Chess Journeys. And I'd like to thank our queen-level supporters, Terry King, Andrew Perry, Jay Tell, Jay Garrison, Donna Richard Burgess, Brandon Hallside, and David Schreiber. You can catch me streaming sometimes at Dr. Skull underscore Tiny Grimes. Uh, I've heard nothing uh, great about it. It's kind of boring, but that's okay. Uh, I'm going over Fisher's 60 memorable games right now. We're taking like an hour to an hour and a half each game. I regularly question Fisher's moves. I am regularly wrong, uh, but we have a good time exploring possibilities. I'd like to thank our sponsor, Chessable. Love Chessable. Chessable is amazing. If you haven't started using it yet, what? Why not? You should, you should use it. Um, I'm up to a whole two-day streak. I know. It's pretty heady waters here. I don't know what I'm going to do when I get to three. Um, I'm working on my openings a lot. I've been using some mastering chess strategy. I just don't often hit the review button. I just read it like a book. That's okay. You can use Chessable in all kinds of ways. But we have come to the moment where we introduce our guest this week. We have on Julia. She is a trained therapist. She is a PhD student. She is the best co-host of the Chess Feels podcast, which, by the way, has really hooked me immediately with its really fresh and interesting takes. I'm really enjoying it. So, Julia, welcome <laughs> to the show. And have you had a chance to play any chess yet today? Hi, thanks for having me. Um, I'm so glad that you're enjoying the podcast and also that you prefer me over the second best co-host, JJ Lang. Wait, wait, I thought his name was Chet. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, um, JJ, you're great. We all know you're great. It's fine. Yes, JJ's great. JJ's hilarious. We all know. Um, yes, I have played a little bit of chess today. I had a doctor's appointment, so... I played some bullet in the, in the waiting room, but that's it so far. So do you ever get to a spot where like the person comes out and they're like, all right, we're ready for it. And you're like, one, one moment, one moment. I'm yes. like just about to win here. And you're like, Ugh. yes, absolutely. Okay. I'll hold up a finger and be like one second. Okay. <laughs> and you have to make it look like you're doing something really important. You have to look really serious. Oh, so. okay. Gotcha. You're like, I'm on, it's a work thing. It's work. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Also, you know, I don't really care about losing a game of bullet. I'll just close it out. So either way. That's fair. Um, yeah, it's funny. I, I never, never such a strong word. I very rarely play chess in those kind of circumstances where I know I'm going to get pulled away at any moment. Um, and if I do, I'm kind of a chicken. I'll just play unrated in that way. I can be like, whatever, I'll just leave. Yeah. You know, I used to be like that too, but now my schedule has changed so much. If I don't grab those little minutes, but my chest is so much worse when I do it. So I don't know how much it's really helping me, but it's just the way I like to spend the time. So, um, yeah, here we are. I've kind of taken those moments as well, but I do them differently. Like that's when I'll be like, okay, I I'll do a puzzle. And then if I get interrupted in the middle, that's fine. I just back out. It's no big thing. Um, yeah, I try, I try my best to only play games if I know I have a little bit of uninterrupted time. But like you said, sometimes that means maybe I don't play a game for two days or something. And that's kind of a lot. Yeah. I've been trying to move more in that direction. I think I was really struggling with this and, 
Um, I, I, I have been trying to shift into a space where I am only playing chess when I can sit down, I'm at a computer, I'm not, I'm not on mobile. I don't think I'll be interrupted and I can really focus. But like you said, then I feel like I am not doing as much as I want to. So I'm still kind of trying to strike that balance. Okay. Gotcha. Let, let's get a feel for your current life situation before we dive in deeper. It seems busy. <laughs> so I, I, I believe you are a therapist, a PhD student, yes. that you have a spouse, that Perfect. you have children on the way, possibly only one, <laughs> you know by now, whether it's one or more. What else yeah. is going on? Your, what else is going on in your life? Yeah, um, all of that is true. I the, the the only thing you missed is that I actually also currently have a two year old. <laughs> oh um, wow! <laughs> yep. <laughs> so I got a full plate. Yeah, I am right now scheduled to defend my PhD dissertation in June. It's early May, so it is about a month away. <laughs> I'm really feeling it. Yeah, I am also due to have my second little kiddo uh, early July. So mm -hmm. things right now are a whirlwind and I am I'm starting my clinical internship in September mm, and good. those are pretty intense. Those are 60 to 80 hour clinical weeks. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting. I, I talked to JJ about this a lot because it kind of feels like this ticking time bomb. Like, OK, when July comes, things explode and. I know I'm not going to have the time for chess that I want. So what can I almost squeeze in and study in the meantime? <laughs> and it's not really the best way to set up your chess prep. It feels like a lot of pressure. So instead, I'm really trying to just enjoy the time while I have it, study the things that feel exciting to me rather than what I feel like I quote unquote should study mm. um, and kind of like take some of that pressure off. Okay, that makes sense. That's how summers are for me, where it's like, I'm free and I can play and study chess, but I yeah. kind of feel pressure of like, I should do this like six hours a day because once the school year starts, then it's boom back to only, you know, like an hour a day, a half hour a day, some days. And so yeah. it, it can totally. be that pressure of like, when you have that block of time and then you feel like you have to, and then suddenly you're like, wait, I have to, I don't want to do that. I mean, like, yeah. I, I thought I was looking forward to this. I know. And I've actually never experienced that feeling. I'm sure it'll come eventually. I'm relatively, you know, new to chess. We're still in the, we're just coming out of our honeymoon phase. I've been playing for about at this point over a year and a half, but not quite two years. Um, and I sort of have the opposite problem where I love chess. I always want to play chess. There's nothing my brain would rather do or look at. Um, so I have to rein that in and remember that I have all these other parts of my life that are super, super important to me, um, and try and make that work. Yeah. I, I'm just so impressed at how you're able to juggle all these things. I guess a, a, a legit question is, I'm glad you, you think I'm juggling like <laughs> a cyborg that doesn't sleep or like, yes, yes. <laughs> okay. <Yeah>. okay. <laughs> honestly, sometimes it does feel like that. Um, my program is really intense. I'm in a clinical psychology program, which means that while I'm doing the research and all the coursework to get my PhD, I'm also getting fully licensed as a clinical psychologist. Mm -hmm. I already have a therapy license. I supervise other students who are coming up through the program. Um, so on top of my PhD, I also have this clinical practice. I'm, I had to apply for my uh, psychology residency, essentially. So that alone is a lot. <laughs> um, oh and then, yeah trying to balance that with having a family was already kind of a challenge. So I think when I started really falling in love with chess and spending a lot of time on it, 
my partner was kind of like, Julia, you are the <laughs> most uh, exhausted person I know. <laughs> are you sure you have time for this? And what I found was it was really kind of adding to my life. It was giving me energy. It was making me sort of, you know, feel that charge. And in my life, wherever I have that, I really try to seek that out and, and make it a priority, even when that feels really hard. For a moment there, when you started talking about your program, after yeah. saying you were a cyborg, I thought you were really going all in and you were going to start talking about <laughs> yeah. your programming. No, no. Okay. So, so you're, you're overwhelmed, you're playing chess and then you're like, you know what else I should do? A podcast. What? Oh yeah. How'd you add a honestly, podcast on top of that? Honestly, the podcast has not been a tremendous amount of extra time or work um, oh, wow. just because JJ and I already spend a fair amount of time uh, playing chess and talking about chess. So I really mm -hmm. feel like partly the podcast was born because we would have these really interesting, cool conversations that I almost felt like other people would want to hear or that I we thought were really funny. And it was sort of like, what if we just hit record? <laughs> like, um, and and that is kind of how it feels. We don't do a ton of prep. We'll pick a subject. We'll maybe chat about it a little bit. Um, but those conversations are super organic. Yeah, um, and I really spend, like yeah, and I'll spend an hour talking. I'll, I'll suck it up and spend an hour talking to JJ once a week anyway. So it's not adding too much to the workload. Gotcha. It, it almost gives it a reason to talk to JJ. Now you don't have to just ghost him. Yeah. And that was becoming a problem for us because we were running out of things to talk about and, you know, things were just so awkward and boring. So we were like, why don't we just monetize this? There you go. That's a way to do it. Yeah. Uh, so. Well, I, I do want to say I really enjoy it. I It just feels really fresh and different. Um, cool. Like it kind of feels like, I don't know, in some ways it kind of feels a bit like Seinfeld. Like it could be a show about nothing, but there's actually something really meaningful there. You know what I mean? It's just like that's an awesome people talking, but in the end, you're like, oh, wow, actually, I took quite a bit away from this. I, I thought there was just two people venting and now I'm hearing like, oh, I got a lot. So that is the that's like the best praise that I could even imagine. That's really what we were hoping it would be. And, you know, me and JJ are both. Seinfeld and Larry David Curb fans. So to hear that it kind of strikes that note, that's really cool. And we really did want to do something different. There is a lot, I think, in the chess podcast space right now, which is great. Um, and people are just totally soaking that up. We we wanted to do something that was a little bit less, I think, focused on just the improvement pieces. What can a study plan look like? How to raise, you know, their rating or get into the space and really talk about more of these cultural phenomena and talk about the psychological aspects because people seemed really interested in the quote unquote psychology of chess and no one was really doing that deep dive. So I think eventually JJ was like, I'm a chess player. You're a psychologist. Let's make it happen. And I'm really glad that they pushed me to do it. I was not totally sold that I would have a lot to say in this space or that people would be interested in hearing it but the response has been incredible oh that's great to hear yeah it, it feels like um you guys are talking about a lot of the topics that everyone thinks but is kind of nervous to talk about like yeah. uh you know moments where you're upset with chess or till yeah. and all these things and everyone kind of be like no that doesn't happen to me uh you know and then then it does so yeah great stuff really enjoying it 
the funny thing is now I was like, hmm, how do I do this interview? I could just make it like a chest therapy session for me and pretend it's a podcast. That seems <laughs> totally. rude. So I'm not going to do that. And instead, I, I think we'll dive into your own story as an improver and then maybe get some tips from you later about psychology yeah. and how to apply what you've learned to other adult improvers out there. So let's awesome. start with your backstory. Did you play chess at all as a kid or did you yes. cover it as an adult? Yeah, I, I played a very little bit. Um, my grandfather loved chess and was good at it and taught me how to play, taught me how the pieces moved and would play with me. He was like, you're a very typical German immigrant, very serious. So mm. he was not letting me win games and would get annoyed <laughs> with me when I was, you know, eight years old and didn't really understand the fundamentals of chess. So yeah. I wouldn't say I learned a ton from those experiences, but I knew how to play. So I would play a little bit. Um, I had a one friend in high school who really liked it and studied it. And we would sometimes play. I have these memories. Um, he worked as a lifeguard at our pool and we would hang out and play chess um, hmm. and sit in my kitchen in the summers. But he would totally kick my butt because he knew what was going on. And I certainly did not. So that was really all the experience I had. I would say it's like, yeah, how do the pieces move? Okay. Um, your, your grandpa seems like the kind of guy that might've been like, now you resign. <laughs> yeah probably yeah i remember he he really it mattered to him that the pieces were centered on their squares Ooh, so now i'm wow. that way too i'll like fix it okay. um he was a very serious person but we were very close he he was just a brilliant brilliant guy an artist he did carpentry and woodworking he painted he had pieces in museums he knew four languages um we were really, really close. And so picking up chess again, uh, he, he passed away before I started playing again as an adult. It, it has been kind of special in that way too. That's cool. So it kind of gives you memories and allows you to reconnect a bit. Totally. totally. Yeah, that's amazing stuff. Okay, so you played a bit in your younger years and here you are as an adult with the fullest life I can imagine <laughs> what, what brings you into chess what is yes. that moment where you're you're like yes I need another thing uh I'm like so embarrassed to tell this story at this point because it's like becoming a meme but um I caught the bug after COVID had started the summer of 2020 because I randomly got a YouTube suggestion for essentially an adult improver like uh, how to chess video. It was one of Daniel Naroditsky's video. And I think it, the specific title was how a grandmaster can beat a club player in chess. And he just went through it move by move. And then afterwards analyzed the game. It was a short video. This was even before I think Danya really exploded and had all his speed run series. Mm -hmm. um, and the way he talked about chess absolutely captivated me. I mean, it made me excited about chess. And yeah. it seems so accessible, like, oh, I can just do these relatively simple things and then yeah. be better at chess immediately. And I think there's something about that learning curve. It's so sharp and steep. If you're a brand new beginner, you can get twice as good, three times as good very quickly. Yeah. Um, I, I truly, I saw that video. I played a little bit online and like caught the bug immediately and just started devouring anything I can get my hands on. I mean, I, I, I it was love at first sight, truly. 
Nice. Was it also love at first sight with Daniel or just the material? <laughs> it was. I, I, I know that people tease me. I have such a crush on Daniel Neroditsky. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. He I, I tease my partner. Like if anything ever happens to you, mm. um, I, I might try to slide in the DMs. I know he's not interested, but yeah. Um, you never know tell you <laughs> yeah yeah daniel's a cutie so um yeah and, and he's so amazing i totally agree with everything you yeah. said. the first time i discovered him it was like against some 1400 or something in his speed run series they blunder a piece on move five and i'm like i'm ready to hit stop on the video because i'm like this is ridiculous mm -hmm. and then he goes on for the next 20 minutes to weave this compelling story about yes you know, where this game is headed and all these techniques. And I was like, what, how, how have you made this absolute slaughter? So interesting. Truly the way he describes his thought processes is so accessible. The way that he, his passion for the game is so evident and totally contagious. And yeah. so when he describes the line and he's like, Oh, here's a tactic. This is truly beautiful. This is so compelling. And, uh, you know, it, it, it really translates and it's changed the way that I feel and felt about chess. So um, I'm, I'm glad I stumbled on that. Honestly, it's been totally life-changing. Yeah. You know what I just realized after hearing you say that, I feel like you should make a series like that. It could be like, instead of the speed run, you could call it like the slow run. Yeah, the, 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 the hobble, the chess the hobble. hobble there, the chess hobble. But you also have that uh, enthusiasm that really just, you know you can is palpable through your podcast and through this interview i think you could do a really cool series uh on something like that i mean it would it wouldn't be the the, the expert explaining everything right but i think it could yeah. be um you, i think you've got something there i don't know i don't that's know if that's so, interesting to you, you yeah know, one, that's so one nice more to thing say. to put on your plate because you know you, <laughs> you, you have so much free time I know, maybe it would be a good motivation for me though to study some of the things that i'm not passionate about where I feel like I'm not passionate about um, end games is the one that me and JJ always butt heads about. And I, my brain loves chess and my brain finds end game study almost unbearably boring. <laughs> um, but for some reason last night I had plans fall through at the last minute and I'm just sort of sitting at my desk. Okay. I'm still in the mood to play chess. What can I do? And it was sort of like, Oh, fine. I'll look at end games for the first time in two months. Um, and I actually found some really cool end game positions that I felt really uh, excited about. And I was like, oh, there even is so much beauty in these. There's some really cool ideas. So I don't know. Sometimes maybe when you push yourself to teach it to someone else, you're able to find more of those yeah. really exciting pieces. But man, end games are the thing that gets me for sure. I wonder if you could make. Uh, just like videos of you sparring in endgame positions, and maybe that would make you more excited to try them. Yeah, JJ and I have. Okay, so me and JJ's friendship was really born over Lee Chess correspondence. We, we've we had a correspondence, but the current one has no time limit. And I think oh, wow. it's gone on for like three months, and I almost never move. And every time I look at it, I, I feel dead inside. So at one point, I messaged <laughs> I messaged them and I was like, you know, we should finish this on stream. Like that will, if we just oh, Twitch stream it, yeah. that'll force me to do some of that end game sparring. So maybe we'll bring that idea back to life and I'll let them embarrass me in front of everybody. And I'm a good sport. I like losing to JJ. <laughs> yeah. I, I have, I have a real hard time finishing correspondence games. I'm not happy about 
like even if I'm not losing if it's just I just don't like the position I'm like why why are we doing this it's been a month now so I just don't play them anymore and the last one I played I just resigned it was like halfway through the game and I was like I can't do this anymore and I just resigned the game I, I do that a lot now. Um, that was really a shift for me. When I started playing chess, I did a lot of correspondence. I think because I was so new at chess that I just needed time to think about it. Um, and I loved to think about it. And now I'm kind of like more, more I, I've been letting a lot of games time out. So I think I've also made the shift from super slow chess to now I prefer some of the more rapid. Now it's bullet in the waiting room. Yes. Yeah. Blame, <laughs> blame JJ. <laughs> Um, all right. So let's, let's get into a bit of like what you actually do. So with such a busy life, how much time do you feel like you're able to carve out for chess in like a week or a day, or do you not keep track of it in any way? It's changed so much. So that first year after I sort of fell in love with chess, I I, I was truly obsessed (laughs) and I was actually having a relatively slow year in grad school because Mm. of all the COVID changes, things were just super different therapy was going online. Um, I was sort of in between having defended my master's and needing to write my perspectives for my dissertation. So I had sort of a slow year and I totally took advantage of it. (laughs) Um, Every waking moment that was unaccounted for, I was doing something chess. I was watching a YouTube video. I was doing puzzles on chess.com. I, I, I was so, I was, I was obsessed. (laughs) Um, even to the point where my partner was, uh, we had to have some difficult conversations about, you know, you spend all your free time playing chess and you're also so busy in your PhD program. Um, what about me? (laughs) So I had to rein it in a little bit. Um, and that has changed a lot since then. Um, once I did start getting into my dissertation year this past year, I also had to apply for clinical internship. Uh, you have to interview uh, some people more than a dozen places. Oh my goodness. It's a ton. So my, my bandwidth has changed a lot and my chest study has changed a lot and, and, and gone down a lot, but also just changed in terms of the quality of it too. Mm. That first year I was kind of soaking up everything. And I feel like almost at that stage, you know, when you are a beginner, I, I actually truly believe it almost doesn't really matter what you're studying. <laughs> you're going to get yeah. better. There's, you have to learn everything. So whatever excites yep. you, follow that excitement and do it. As long as you are studying, I actually think that that is probably a better plan to keep that engagement and motivation rather than almost the analysis paralysis of trying to find that perfect study plan. And okay, what, mm-hmm. what's the perfect thing for me to look at? How much should I do openings and middle games and end games and tactics? Um, I, I, I truly believe do, do whatever is exciting to you that you'll do and you'll, you'll make a lot of progress. Yeah. I miss those days where I was a thousand. Yeah. And I was just like, read, I would read a book and be like, oh my goodness, doubled pawns. That's mind blowing. <laughs> and then the next chapter is like double isolated pawns. Oh my yep. God. <laughs> That's so funny, Kevin. I have such a light bulb memory of reading simple chess and being like outposts for knights. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. An outpost. Why, why, why didn't I know that? So it's cool when you don't, when you're such a blank slate, yeah. Um, to me, that was like a beautiful, beautiful year. Um, oh, yeah. And I that really first, fell in love. It feels my like my first year and a half, I went from a thousand to 1700. And wow. just, I was just like, 
So wow. that's how it works. You just yeah. read a new book, you learn tons of new stuff, and then you get better. And then yeah. I got to 1700 and I was like, wait, what? How, how come there's not another new book that's like, oh, here are some secrets we didn't tell you yet. <laughs> You're like, uh, what's, yeah. what's next? Yeah. Now it's like, now it gets harder. And I'm like, harder? They're like, also, you should learn end games. And I was like, screw end games. <laughs> I'm just going to win the middle game. <laughs> I think we have a lot in common. That sounds very, very similar to my experience. I mean, you're either going to win in the middle game or you're going to blunder and lose in the middle game, right? Who needs an end game? <laughs> I mean, I kind of feel that way, especially when you're playing at such a fast time frame. Mm, Once yeah. I started playing more Blitz and Bullet, it really sort of felt like... Yeah, I'm gonna throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. <laughs> and yeah, I blunder my queen and I resign, or you know, I'm going for the throw, going for the checkmate. So I, I feel like now I'm trying to move into almost a more sort of um mature approach to my chess, where I really am playing more slow, composed positional chess, and I am willing to grind out difficult end games. And that's hard. It feels very different and a lot mm -hmm. less exciting, but there's something really beautiful about it. And I'm, I'm trying to kind of keep that motivation alive. Has that gone into your opening choice at all? Yeah, yes, definitely. My, my openings have changed dramatically. I didn't have an opening for a really long time because everyone <laughs> said as a beginner, just do tactics, don't learn yeah. openings too much. So I knew a bit, I mean, I knew. I, I had a few things to play, but I didn't memorize any openings out beyond three, four moves. And I basically played the Italian as white, uh, E4, E5 as black, mm -hmm. uh, D4, D5 as black. So it wasn't really until I, after I'd been playing chess for about a year, I got on chess Twitter <laughs> for mm. the first time, which I always give full credit to the chess fit pod. They're the ones who roped oh. me in. Um, I had had a Twitter since I think like 2011 that I never, ever used. <laughs> I never got into it. I'm not a big social media person. And, um, but I was looking for some chess content on Twitter for some reason. Uh, Phil specifically had a very funny tweet <laughs> on, I think it's like July 17th is international chess day. And their <laughs> pod tweet was every day is international chess day grow up, <laughs> which is like exactly <laughs> my sense of humor. So it was my first ever retweet. And then I followed a bunch of accounts and um, I liked the funny content. I liked the puzzles. I liked how people were engaging and it was cool. I, I had been, I, I would look at some of the, the chess subreddits like our chess and our anarchy chess and they were funny, but they get old really quick. So I really liked Twitter. Um, and then once I started connecting with people and met JJ, that was when I actually started taking a much more serious approach to my chess study and really putting openings more into my rep. Gotcha. And so what are you playing these days then? Unless yeah. it's a secret. No, no, it's not a secret at all. Um, I, one of the things that's been so exciting is I used to dread playing black. Like I always wanted to play white and now I love my black reps. So yeah. I play, I play the Sicilian. I mostly play the con. I like E6 Sicilians a lot. Uh, Gopal Menon has been like trying to get me a little bit more into doing some G6 stuff early. <laughs> me and JJ joke about how we're going to one day stream and like only play the dragon for three hours, but that's not really in my rep. I play mostly E6 Sicilians. And I thought the dragon was just 
play G6, and then lose to a devastating attack. <laughs> there is some theory, I swear. There's a study out there. Uh, mm, I don't uh, think there was. I thought it was just a 0% <laughs> win rate. Yes. Uh, when I played it, it certainly is. So I love, I love playing Sicilians. I love playing hedgehog positions. Those really suit me well. And um, unfortunately, against D4, I... I do play the Bononi, um, unironically, and I'm having a really good time. I, I don't win all my games, but I'm at a level where people don't know the theory amazingly. Like I actually think playing the Bononi gets harder as your rating goes up and people have really good reputations. Yeah. So many people I play just are not ready for that early C5. So I do some Nimzo Indian stuff um, with lines that JJ and Gopal have shared with me and I play the Bononi and I love playing black. I'm like always happy with a black game. So that's how I am as well. I've shifted my, like I used to play the night orf and the King's Indian and all these super sharp things. And yeah. now I play like the Carol Khan and a really boring Queens gambit declined variation. Oh, okay. And, and so then that's made me have to get good at end games. Cause I no longer win in the middle game. Every game is like right. four hour slug slog fast until the end game. And that kind of chess just doesn't suit me. It, when I'm trying to play that, I, I I feel like I'm not clicking in. I don't feel excited. And so I've kind of let myself, you know, play what I actually like, which feels more important to me than winning more games. I'd rather, you know, not have my rating go up that extra 50 points that maybe it could, but be having a really good time. So I do, I don't think I've ever once in my life played a single Karo Kong. <laughs> that is not an exaggeration. <laughs> um, Slav stuff didn't suit me. Yeah. I like the French, but um, I don't really play it too much. And I'm, I'm really happy where my black rep is now. And my white rep changed a lot too. Like I said, I was mostly playing E4. I played a lot of Italian. Um, I really like Vienna stuff. I, mm -hmm. I like that early Knight C3, which feels very different um then the typical e4 structures that you'll see uh you can even transpose into some cool almost like king's gambit style pawn structures but you actually don't have to give up material so the, I, those those positions feel really comfortable for me and i'll still play them but uh more recently i've been doing more d4 stuff i've been learning the catalan and oh, jj plays a lot of really cool d4 lines that they'll always share with me and it makes me feel excited about it. So I've been changing my white rep a lot lately as well. Interesting. I think yeah. one of the most important things for people to remember, and I think you made this point is that at our level and lower levels and even a little higher, <clears throat> all the openings are pretty much fine. And the way to prove yeah. that is you can just go on Lee chess and instead of having mastered games, just go to the Lee chess games, click your rating band, and just check and you'll see the first thing that's hilarious is the draw percentage goes to zero. Yeah. <laughs> it's all wins or losses. Right. That, that, that opening that you were like, ooh, I don't know, it has a dubious reputation. You look and you're like, uh, okay, no, it's fine. It's totally fine at my level. We're all good. Yeah. And I don't know if you if you've had a chance to listen yet. It just came out our episode. We did an openings episode with Gopal. Gopal. Oh, oh I heard that episode. That was a <laughs> oh my goodness. This man knows more opening lines and like weird stuff that I love than anyone else I've ever met in my life. 
Um, and but I do feel like that was almost like a conclusion that we came to as well. Any opening can have the character of play that you want it to have. Any opening can be sound if you really understand the character and the spirit of the opening rather than just memorizing lines. So that was kind of a nice, a nice place to land. <laughs> and uh, if you can make it through all the other ridiculous banter that came up. Yeah, that was that was quite an episode. <laughs> But I did, it fun to it. I got a lot out of it. I contacted JJ after it and Gopal because I've been struggling. Yeah. I've been having my own struggles of like, I've been I've been flirting with mm-hmm. D4 and the Catalan after being an E4 mm-hmm. player my whole life and just hating playing against the French and the Karakhan and, and Alakine's defense and the Scandinavian and almost every response E4 could have. And so I was just kind of chatting with both of them with like suggestions. So yeah, really that's so funny because I like all of, I'll play all of those. I just hated playing against Sicilians. <laughs> um, and then I'll play the Alapin, but it doesn't capture me, right? It's just an anti-Sicilian. There's something about it that doesn't feel super exciting. So as my reading got up and more people play C5, I thought, okay, I'm not really getting the lines that I want. I'm not really getting these Vienna positions that I like a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, what else can I play? And so um yeah, similarly to you, but perhaps in response to different responses, um, yeah. I, think I, I started I, playing more D4 as well. What I hate so much about E4 is it's like, yeah. E4, what do you want to do today? You decide. And that so bugs me. Like, I want to decide. Yeah. I'm playing white. I should have some say over what we're doing. Right. That's why I love it when my opponents play E4, because I love those positions and I love that flexibility as black. Like, I love those little hedgehoggy uh style openings and then I feel like I found the one opening I could play against d4 that gave me that same feeling like I'm gonna play the Benoni and I'm gonna force you into chaos and I love that because I feel like a lot of people who play d4 want those um slower positional styles out of the opening and I like that it's like nope (laughs) so that's why yeah I've come to really love black which I didn't for a long time yeah I've been considering so I have this super solid trade-off everything variation of the Queen's Gambit decline that's kind of boring, but gets to end games, which I've been enjoying practicing. But I think I've been thinking about picking up the Benko Gambit also. Mm, it's just like okay. I have both sides covered, right? Like I look in your eyes and if you want a boring game, I'm like, all right, it's not going to be boring. We're going to play the Benko. Yeah. And if you're if you look like you're an exciting person, then I'm going to play my boring trade everything offline. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, I played Banco for a while. I like the Banco. I'll still play it um, every once in a while. But for some reason, it it doesn't do for me. The It, it feels so similar to the Benoni, and I feel like a lot of people kind of lump them together because mm-hmm. there are some of those similarities. But the character of it, again, is totally different, even though you're getting some of those same pawn structures. The, the Banco, you're like opening everything up right away and you're you're gambiting your pieces so that you can get that activity um whereas the benoni is like creating a lot of chaos like let's actually like put all of our pieces on the board and like see if you can figure out this position as well as white um Mm -hmm. so they actually have a very different flavor to me and i don't know why ever since i learned the benoni i started enjoying seeing d4 so again it's just me chasing that feeling you know what makes me excited to be at the board right now and um, I'm not saying that that is the best way to choose your opening or choose your style of study, but oh, yeah. as someone who is not a professional chess player, 
my rating doesn't matter, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's where I've landed. Yeah. I feel like it is the best way because it, it gets you to do the work that you need to do. Like the only way to get better is to, to play and enjoy it. And if you don't totally. enjoy it, then you're not going to play. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I totally agree. So yeah. I am having a good time. Exactly. So what do you do with most of your chess game? So we've got, you play a little bullet, you avoid mm-hmm. studying end games. What else do you do? <laughs> yeah, I would say f- five, three blitz is like my mm-hmm. happy place. It gives me right. enough time to think. Um, so that's the game I'll normally go for as I've been trying to take my study a little bit more seriously. I have been playing slow games. I'll play some 10, 10, five. I try at least once a week to play a slower classical time control, at least 15, if not 20 minutes, okay. it's just really hard to do. Um, but I, I, I try to play those games in my head. I'll say, okay, when the game is over, I'll send this to JJ. And when I have that mentality, like there's almost someone <laughs> over my shoulder, yeah. then I notice that I'll focus a little bit more, but it's so hard online. I, I still find myself checking my email or texting <sighs> oh. my friends. Um, so I also am trying to play more over the board, not necessarily like rated or tournament games, which are hard to find in my area. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I have a couple friends here who play with me. Um, and we're actually pretty close in rating. We'll go toe to toe. Um, so I'm trying to at least once every other week, have a night where I'll play a couple of chess games over the board. And then I find my ability to focus on the position and not get distracted really goes up. So I'm trying to add more of that in. That's cool. So you do quite a bit of playing. Do you interact with books or videos or chessable or anything like that? Yes. Yeah. I love chess books. I really do. I wish I, I wish I spent more time with them. Um, but I am trying to go through a few things a little bit more slowly. Um, I started reading Sicilian Warfare, which is not the, is not like a book I would recommend. This will really improve your rating. This is great for beginners. (laughs) <laughs> but the way they described the games was so enchanting. And as I started reading it, I really liked it. So that's what I'm doing, even though it's probably not the best for my overall improvement. It's what is making me happy. So sure. I try to always have one or two books kind of out on my nightstand that I'll pick up when I, when I have a free, a free, you know, a little bit of time before I fall asleep at night. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I came into chess online through YouTube and Twitch and through mm-hmm. online chess. So that still really is a go-to for me. I'm trying, uh, I'm trying to keep watching those videos. I really like the speedrun stuff. I still watch Daniel Narodisky all the time. Um, I find those videos really helpful. I really learn by example. So just seeing someone play through the moves and talk about their thinking, I'll do that very actively. I'll watch the video and every move I'll pause it and Ooh. say, what would I play here and why? Nice. And then I see, okay, what does Danielle play and why? And okay, if I was his opponent, how would I respond? Okay, why does why does Danya say that move is idiotic? Um, that's a way that I actually learn a lot. And I find if I do that for even 20 or 30 minutes, it almost puts me in this different headspace so that then if I go play blitz, I'll play much better, much more thoughtfully. So yeah. rather than saying, okay, tonight I'm only going to study, I'm not going to play blitz, which doesn't always feel great. It feels kind of restrictive. I'll just say, I'm going to watch something first and almost get myself in that space and then I'll crush it up blitz. And that goes really well for me. Yeah, that sounds great. I do that with um, my intense calculation books. I'm doing uh, yeah. the best move and I got the think like cool. a super GM. And I love to do those on nice. Monday and Tuesday nights when I play my classical games. 
yeah. puzzle first to like yeah calculation juice going and then and then usually blow the game anyway but that's a whole nother <laughs> i do the exact opposite if i have a game that i really want to focus on and play well i'll do puzzle rush i'll do easy puzzles uh, um okay. i don't know why someone told me that once so what I you're saying is i'm possible. doing it wrong <laughs> you're doing it differently than me which means you're probably doing it right but um maybe you're having less fun i don't know i'm usually having a good time i know i I love doing the calculation, like the deep calculation yeah. puzzles. I think it's some of the most fun I have with chess, which is kind of funny. I totally, totally agree. Um, and I think one of the most helpful things people can do is to do that with a coach mm -hmm. because you can do those really deep calculations and the, the book will tell you a little bit, but I think that when you actually talk that through with someone who really understands the position and the themes and why we're looking at what we're looking at. Why do you rule out lines that don't work? How yeah. next time can you rule those things out faster? What are the patterns you should be looking for? Those things blow my mind. So that's like, that's one of my favorite ways to spend my time. Um, and that's why I forced JJ to be my friend. <laughs> um, it's funny for me that think like a super GM book is actually stressful because there's like okay, points yeah. and they tell you your rating based on your points. And I'm like, okay, wait, wait, maybe my USCF rating is lower than it should be. And mm. this book will tell me my correct rating. So it's right. like extra pressure to really do well. I, I have yeah. a feeling really and, and I think for me, really taking a step back from the rating and not not focusing on it almost at all is one of the things that really helps me stay super engaged and not feel sort of defeated with mm -hmm. chess. Um, sometimes I feel like I'm learning a ton and my rating isn't going up at all. And that can even feel confusing. Yeah. And, and, and then I just sort of remember like, this is a proxy. This, this is not actually the most accurate measurement for how much chess knowledge I have in my brain or how well I'm doing. And I sort of just trust the process. Like it'll fluctuate and it'll slowly go up. But at this point, you know, I can have a good game with my friends. I, I, I feel confident enough in my ability to play chess that I'm sort of like, okay, if my rating never goes up, I'll still be happy and I will love this game forever. So I'm going to really focus on um, building reps that I like and learning skills that call to me rather, rather than trying to focus on hitting that next 100 milestone at all. Um, that's helped me a lot. And I know that that's not the most popular thing to say, because people want that advice. Like, how do I get my rating up? Um, I, I don't have the best answer to that. You should get a chess coach. <laughs> but um, I think the strategies that I have are really good for how do I keep myself coming back to the game and falling in love with the game in a new way, you know, over and over again, even when I hit those plateaus. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Um... What a great attitude. It's the attitude I at least pretend that I have. Yeah, it's hard. I imagine like if I don't get better for two years, my great attitude will probably go away. Right. And it'll, yeah. well, not, what I, I should say, rephrase that. If my rating doesn't go up in two years, even if I'm getting better and I'm getting all this knowledge, then I'll be like, remember when I said I was about the process? I was <laughs> about the process. <laughs> now I'm just angry. So we'll see if I can yeah. keep it. Yeah. All right, I'm about to ask you a question that on your podcast almost seems like a, a rude question, but are you willing to share your <laughs> the audience has an idea of where we are at? 
I'm ready. And I you like can how you whatever rating you want, however you yeah. measure yourself. I, I like how you avoided the language too. Yeah, this is our favorite joke. What's your rating? It's so, it's so telling, right? Um, no, I'm I'm super happy to share. So I don't have an over the board rating. I have actually never played a rated over the board game. There was a time where I said that's my goal in 2022, and then in late October, I found out that I was pregnant and realized like. This is probably not in the cards yeah. for me to do too much of this, um, given everything else I have on my plate. And that's totally okay. I really hope that becomes a big part of my life eventually. And I'm also trying to reach a place of acceptance where I realize I, I have so many commitments at home. Um, yeah. I can't be traveling for tournaments. I, I can't be studying the way that I want to, and that's okay for the time being. So that for me is a kind of a future goal. Um, but and do, and do you have a feeling of like, if you go to a tournament, you have to have been studying X amount to have like that mental place where you feel prepared, whether or not anything's actually different. Oh, I have no idea. Okay, <laughs> I have no okay. idea how I would feel. <laughs> I've never signed up. I've never thought about doing it. So I've not, okay. I have not a clue. Um, okay. Cause I have those weird things where it'll be like today, mm -hmm. I would feel great about going to a tournament yeah. tomorrow, a day where I'll probably know more than today. I might feel terrible because I'll be like, Oh my goodness. You know, what I realized there's this line in the Catalan that I don't really know how to handle it. Mm -hmm. And what if it were to come up and then it like shatters me? I'm like, what, what is happening? Yeah. Are you so frail here? What's going on? Yeah. And again, the nice thing is I never dreamed that I would return to chess and play chess and play over the board. So I don't really care what my reading would end up being. <laughs> I would just have a really good time doing it. Yeah. Um, if I would, Th that's the other thing too, is like, I'm not really actually sure how much fun I would have doing that. And this comes up a lot because I like to play over the board, but the idea of going to like a chess club with a bunch of people that I don't really know um, and sitting with strangers and playing chess actually does not sound fun. The way inviting my friends over and we'll sit on my porch on a nice summer night and drink IPAs and play chess and listen to music and talk. Yeah. Best night of my life. <laughs> I will always pick that. That makes sense. So it's just something that I am sort of prioritizing. Um, in terms of my online reading, I play mostly on Lee chess. My, my reading kind of bounces around. I'm pretty comfy right now around like 17, 1800 when I'm like really having a good week or I'm grinding, I'll get in the 1900s. I, I have gone over 2000. Ooh. Um, I know, which I obviously, you know, did you get like, like a plaque or a pin or something like almost immediately and over 2000. No, but I sent it to JJ. That's like the same thing. Yeah. So they were excited for me. My partner didn't really care at all. JJ should really send you a certificate. That's like, yeah, and over 2000 and then you could hang it on the wall. I agree. Yeah, I, I agree. I'll, I'll, I'll float that idea. I feel like yeah. I should be getting all kinds of certificates for all of my achievements, but um, yeah. yeah uh, I would say like 17, 1800s is about where I am right now. Okay. Um, and I'll dip into the 1600s, which like, I don't mind at all, you know, play 15 and 1600s when I can have some easier games. Yeah. So I, I really don't worry about my rating. Um, my, my correspondence, like my daily games, I I'll be in the 1900s above 2000 when I can really think and play slow chess. Um, but I, I, I don't even think I have, uh, I think I still have a, a question mark <laughs> because I usually just play <laughs> casual. Okay. Uh, with my friends, I'm not trying to like put any pressure and I usually time out of those games. So thank God I do. <laughs> um, but those are really fun for me. So yeah, when I, when I had first gotten online, I think I was around 
1100 Lee chess. So for me, that growth felt really good. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's and I'm really happy. Ratings game. Yeah. And it's taken me, you know, almost two years. It wasn't, it was not overnight, but, um, I, there was never a point along the way where I felt unhappy with my reading or wished it was higher. And, and, you know, JJ kind of challenging me lately. Like if you did have reading goals, do you think that you would like be better? Maybe you should actually add in some of that. Would it be more motivating? Would you actually play more chess and be more dedicated to the process? Mm -hmm. And it's very possible. I'm just not really sure how to make myself care about that when I don't. Um, and I don't know how important it is, it is to do that either. So I think there might come a time later in my, you know, chess playing career in air quotes where I start to care. And maybe when I'm playing over the board, if I do start playing tournaments, it would become important to me. Um, but right now, like if my, if my rating dips down, I don't care when my rating goes up, I know it's like kind of temporary usually. And I don't put too much weight on that either. I feel like this is such a healthy approach. Like it's <laughs> cool. <laughs> like I, I feel like ratings goals, at least from my perspective, don't help me. And I, I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm hesitant to believe that they actually help people because they can that then they become so negative when you don't reach the goals or the rating drops. And it's, I don't know that I guess and for I some people, the maybe that negativity hurts. is really motivating. But I think for a yeah. lot of people, it's facilitating. I agree. I can see all the ways it hurts. Or I see people who get their rating up and then they say, I don't want to, I don't want to see the number go down. So I stop playing. (laughs) I know. And I've, I've never experienced that feeling, which I'm grateful for. There's so many things that keep chess out of my life. (laughs) And I love those things. You know, if Michael Rios is listening, I love those things. Um, But I'm not trying to add to that list. Um, I, I love chess. <laughs> My brain loves chess. So that's kind of what I try to focus on. Gotcha. So your goals are just long-term, get better, have fun. Maybe someday yeah. I'll play in a tournament. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm just envisioning I, someone really pregnant trying to play in one of these grueling. All <laughs> I don't even know how you, you would do it because it's, pregnancy is already so demanding on your body and your brain. And these tournaments are so grueling. I don't know how someone would do it. Yes. I can't imagine it either. And I promise you it would not be me, (laughs) not a chance. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I do see those as my goals. I I would definitely like to widen my opening rep. Um, (laughs) I get really excited, you know, like the podcast episode that we recorded, I think it's really cool. People who have a lot of opening theory and knowledge, I would love that. Um, so that's kind of on my loose study plan. I want to feel more comfortable in a lot of different openings. So when I see an English, um, uh, I would, I'd like to have a wider rep in general. So that's something I'm excited to kind of move into that space. Um, and yeah, eventually I would like to have an over the board rating, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to focus <laughs> whenever I get really, I, I, I go through these periods of time where I feel a little depressed about it. I wish I had more time to play and study chess. I said, mm-hmm. I definitely get jealous of people that I see who seem to have a lot of that time. Yeah, I try too. to refocus on, okay, what are all the reasons why I don't have that time? Because I could make that time, right? I could drop out of my program. I yep. could have a different career. I could uh, dump Michael and run away from my family. There's lots of things I could do. And I try to remember, okay, why is my time so limited? Why is my bandwidth limited? 
man, I love my career. I, I have, I have a life beyond my wildest imagination. Truly. I feel so lucky every single day. I'm studying something I really am passionate about and care about and believe in. I'm doing the clinical work that I've always wanted to do. I have my dream job. So, okay. I can't play as much chess as I wanted. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to, to, you know, let myself deeply accept that. And also just like appreciate the little places where I can carve it out. And the podcast has been a really cool way to do that and feel like I can continue to, you know, dip my toes in this space and feel and stay connected without having too much pressure on, am I studying the right things? Am I studying enough? Is my rating going up? What are the other ways I can engage with chess that let me also live the life I want to live and be the person that I want to be? Yeah, that's so, so amazing and so different from me. You, you seem like yeah. you're so good at appreciating the things you have and understanding and, fig and, and accepting that you can't do everything all in at the same time. It's and hard. I'm the opposite. I'm like, yeah. Oh, so, I'm like the grass is greener guy, right? So it's like yeah. there was a period where I was streaming like pretty effectively several hours a day for a different okay. game years ago. And I found it really grueling and hated it. And then like I got into I have a really good job as a teacher now and it's really amazing. But awesome. I'm like, but what if I stream chess all day? And yeah, like, dude, you already did that. You hated it. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh my God. I'm so glad to hear you say that because that is like my little dream. Um, you know, the summer, the summer of 2021, I literally was telling all my friends, I, I just want to be a chess streamer. I just want to chess twitch. I feel like people would follow me. Like, I don't know. I can be funny sometimes. That's my dream. And you're right. The grass is always greener. So even when you say, oh, I feel like you're so good at that. It's a, it's a constant effort. You know, that's, that's human nature. Right. And I think what I realized was that I actually felt really miserable when I was like railing against reality and wanted this thing yeah. that I couldn't have. And it was putting a lot of pressure on my relationship too. Like I said, my partner was kind of like, I don't always feel prioritized and I want more of your time and your attention. Um, I felt like I wasn't giving my PhD work the, at least the bare minimum. I'm not going to say my all I don't, I still don't give it my all, um, mm. but I do what I can. And so I think really coming to that place of acceptance was necessary just so I wasn't so miserable. Um, and, and that I could like love the life that I'm living, which I totally do when I let myself do that. So it's a constant, it's a constant return to that mindset. Yeah, I, I've been really fortunate this year at my job. I've yeah. become better friends with somebody who's good at it. And like every time I complain, cool. he's kind of like, you do realize how great you have it. And he'll like lay it out there for me. And I'm like, yeah, wow, awesome. thank you. You know, I had been really glossing over those good things and really just focusing on the things I would like to do or like to have in my life. I would like to yeah. every weekend go to a chess tournament, but I know if I actually flew to a chess tournament every weekend, I'd be miserable because I hate like travel and flying. <laughs> yes. So it, it, it's so, it's so it's funny the way our brains work like that. That's a real, that's a real thing. And, and for some people more than others, there really is some individual variation there, but in general, um, especially for some people, our brains tend to have almost this negativity bias. We focus on what could be better or what's going wrong. And that's almost a survival mechanism. If you think evolutionarily, if 
if threats are life-threatening, we should be attending the threats and we should be looking for things that can get better or are not good. Yeah. And so, so, so much of that is almost building up that muscle kind of counteracting that negativity bias and forcing mm-hmm. ourselves to think about the positive, which might not come naturally, but that is a muscle that we can build. And soon those thoughts do become more automatic. Um, and that can be really life-changing stuff. So I know that probably sounds really, uh, I don't know, like cliche, like gratitude, but there really is something to that and making that a practice. It doesn't, it doesn't come effortlessly. So I don't want to make it sound like it does for me. I went through times of what I would literally describe as grief because I wasn't doing that. And it took that conscious effort. Okay. Well, that's helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I've, I've been tempted to steer this just into chest therapy, but but I'm not going hey, to. If you have questions, Kevin, no, don't. Yeah. Don't resist. If you've got questions, I've I will do my best to give answers. So I know we don't have a ton of time left, but if there's anything you want to put on the table, I am, I'm totally game. I think we should start here. What is like one or two pieces that you take from your work in psychology that you feel like help you or might help other adult improvers with with Mm -hmm. their jobs? Yeah, definitely. And I talk about a lot of these on my podcast. So if you listen, this might sound repetitive, but these are some of the biggest takeaways, especially for people who haven't heard that. One of those I would say is bringing in emotional regulation, um, especially when I'm playing a game that feels really intense and I feel my arousal going up and I get that stress response or I get that anxiety response. I, I have a lot in my back pocket in terms of those therapy techniques for what can help bring that level of arousal down and help me stay in more of that cognitive focused chess space. Those I find super, super helpful. Hmm. Um, And then kind of zooming out more overall, I would say really approaching it again with this process oriented mindset instead of an outcome oriented mindset. Uh, Those are things that are hard to do, but can be really helpful when you're thinking about how you're spending your time with chess. And I like the word that you used, what, what is adaptive versus what is debilitating and, and taking a really hard look at that and being almost painfully honest with yourself, is this helping? So I think a good example of that is, um, one thing that really helped my chess game was when I started analyzing more of even my blitz and rapid, Mm. I think it's very tempting to want to hit next game. (laughs) And we have that episode about like why that feels so compulsive. Mm -hmm. And there's something about analyzing a game, especially a game that you didn't win or didn't play well, that can feel physically painful. You can fight that impulse (laughs) and fight your ego and say, no, I am going to slow down. I am going to analyze my games. Um, so that the next time I see the same thing, I can treat it differently. And I'm also going to fight that compulsivity to just keep playing and get that dopamine surge. That mm-hmm. was something that helped my game a lot. So that's where I see some of those mm. psychological aspects making a big difference in my game. Nice. I feel like I'm good at some of those and bad at some of those. Actually, yeah, after course. listening to that episode, I almost made a video called how I use blitz effectively. And it was it. Yeah. like my process is I do not allow myself to accept rematches or play mm-hmm. again. I play one game oh. and then I pull myself out. I do some analysis so awesome. that I let the dopamine just kind of filter away. <laughs> and then I decide, do I want to play another one rather than being like all amped and let's do it, let's do it, or chasing points. Like I don't do that. And it really annoys people sometimes because they'll rematch me. And then yeah. I won't accept. And then I get a message like, are you chicken? And I'm like, 
I, that's I hilarious. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. And that is something that I nodded to on the podcast, which is hundred percent true, which is, this is going to feel different for different people. The same way that addiction to other things does. Um, there really is, uh, some people are just kind of more vulnerable to that response in all types of ways. And some people feel more compulsion towards different types of things. Um, so I think some people play blitz and they're, they can do exactly what you did, Kevin, which is awesome. That sounds like a great way to use blitz effectively and blitz can be so effective. So we're certainly not trying to universally shit on blitz, but I think some people have a really hard time doing that. So they might see that video and be like, that seems impossible. It's funny because I have a really addictive personality, like so addictive and and I think because I have that personality, yeah, I've gone into Blitz trying to be really careful about it and being like, okay, well, that's great. we're not going to let that piece take over. Um, okay, I'm going to ask you one psychology thing about myself, and then I'm going to ask you about coaching. So, Julia, at least three times per uh, tournament game, especially in a hall full of children, I ask myself, what the hell are you doing with your life? Like you could be literally doing anything else. Your family is at home. You have abandoned them. What are you doing? Any thoughts? Well, how, what's sort of your next thought? How do you answer that question? When you ask yourself that question, do you get a sinking feeling like, yeah, I don't want to be here. This is not how I want to spend my time. Mm. Or do you feel almost a resolution of like, well, I love this. I want this to be in some proportion in my life. And I want to be in this seat. How do you feel yourself respond to that question? It's different per game. Like, like I can't control when it comes in. And if it comes in when my position is good, I'm like, shut up. This is why we're here. This is great. But if I've been struggling and I'm down upon and just trying to hold, and I know I'm going to lose, sometimes I give into that feeling and I'm like, Mm -hmm. yeah, what are you doing here? And it'll be like an eight minute internal conversation where I'm trying to quell the, yeah. the conversation so I can focus on this seven-year-old who is up upon and, you know, I hear you. And, and knowing hear you. that I'm not going to get a post-mortem and that they're just going to run off with their friends. And I don't have any friends at the tournament. So after <laughs> I'm just going to like go over and get a horrible sandwich at the shop and, and sit around yeah. for a couple hours. So I, it's like, those emotions can be so challenging for me sometimes. So based on that, it's a totally different actual question that I would ask you. It, it doesn't even really matter how you respond to the question or do, do you resonate with the question? Do you disagree with the question? Um, the answer to the question is not important. We want to ask a totally different question, which is, is this question useful? Is this thought helpful right now? I'm already in the chair. I'm already at the tournament. I'm playing yeah. chess. <laughs> What's my goal? Is now the time that I want to think about how I'm spending my time and prioritizing it? Yeah. Or can I do that later? <laughs> and you already know the answer. So instead of what we want to do is actually not engage with this question at all. We want to get distance from the mm-hmm. question and from the thought. And there's lots of techniques to do that. Um, we probably don't have time to get into those today, but I do talk about some of them on the podcast. Okay. We can do things like diffusion and there's a lot of different types of um, acceptance, commitment therapy, diffusion exercises that are all designed to recognize the thoughts, not helpful. Mm-hmm. I don't need to answer the question. How do I get distance from the thought so that I can concentrate on what's right in front of me and continue making contact with the present moment? Nice. Okay. Yeah. So maybe that'll be a follow-up session that we have. Um, totally. And that is kind of what I end up doing is like, what are you doing? Like you can think about this on the ride home. Like now is not the time. 
but it can be hard, I think, because they don't have the tools other than just trying to tell my brain to shut up, which can be challenging. Yeah. It doesn't like to listen. It, okay. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Unfortunately, Julia, we are very low on time. So I'm going to ask you one last question. And that is, you've talked about coaching a couple of times. JJ yeah. is your coach. They seem amazing. How has coaching impacted you? Mm. And do you suggest it for most improvers? Yeah. Great question. Yeah. JJ's kind of my coach. I've taken some lessons with JJ. Um, I thought JJ was your coach. Well, if I have a coach, it's JJ. Okay. Um, yeah. JJ is my coach. JJ can be my coach. That's fine. JJ, you let me know. Are you my coach? I don't know. Um, wow. We're really getting into some places. I didn't know we were going. Is yeah. JJ your coach? Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't taken a, I haven't had the time or taken a real lesson in a while, hmm. but I will say, Getting a coach is the single thing that I think will change people's chess game. I, I can't even describe how much things changed for me when I met JJ and we became friends. The way I started thinking about chess was so fundamentally different um, in a way that I was never going to get to on my own, no matter how many videos I watched, no matter how many puzzles I did. So I think those things are super useful for a long time. If you're brand new to chess, you actually probably don't need a coach. Mm -hmm. Um I think once you get to the place kind of where even you described Kevin, where my rating has plateaued a little bit, it changed everything for me. JJ is thinking about and playing chess in a way that was so fundamentally different than I was. Um, and just, I, I, I don't know if you, if you need a coach, you should get JJ Lang to be your coach. It, JJ is the, the way that JJ thinks about chess and describes it is so accessible to even individuals who are at a lower level, um, which I don't think every chess coach can do. JJ has this ability to ask a question that makes me think about the right thing that I just wasn't thinking about. And that's what I see coaching as. It's someone who can ask the right questions. And it's so funny because that's how I see my profession. Let's tie it all back. That is literally kind of what a therapist does. I don't have any answers for anyone. You know your life better than I do. You know your internal experience better than I do. But getting a therapist can be so helpful because they'll ask the right question that you weren't thinking about before, and then you can answer it. Um, and, and, and a coach is, I see as being the exact same way. So in terms of how helpful it is, I would say extraordinarily. And did it help me? Yes. It literally changed the way I think about chess profoundly. Um, best thing I could recommend. But did it help your rating? <laughs> yeah, it did. I don't care about that, but heck yeah, it did. We have this ongoing joke where JJ and I need to measure, you know, whose rating is going to improve more through our friendship mm. <laughs> because JJ has said on the record, I've gone to tournaments and done some of the regulation stuff and the mindset stuff that you've described. And it really helped. And I noticed a difference and I won every game and I won the tournament and all the money. Oh, wow. So, um, you know, who's, who's helping who in this symbiotic relationship? I, yeah. <laughs> I like to at least tell myself. Does he at least give you, cool. do they give you half the money at least? No, they've never offered to do wow. that. Um, so rude. yeah, you know, that you mentioned it is rude. I'm going to bring that up later. <laughs> so, I know. And I, I keep saying, JJ, you need to give me some free lessons because people are signing up for your lessons because of our pod and our yeah. Twitter banter. And also like, you're basically marketing for him. Yeah, come on, throw me a bone. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring this up again. Yeah, I think this is obvious. <laughs> I'm, uh, glad, I'm glad you said something. So but what, if anyone's looking for a coach, uh, JJ Lang, go to their Twitter. They're at Chess Fuels. 
Um, our podcast is at Chess Fuels Pod. I, I, I could not recommend more highly life-changing stuff. Nice. So I, what I'm hearing is if you have infinite dollars, you get Danya as your coach. And if you have <laughs> less than infinite dollars, you get JJ. Would that be accurate? <laughs> Actually, yeah. I do think Daniel Nerdinsky would be a better coach. <laughs> I'm sorry, JJ. I love you. <laughs> but come oh. on. Daniel's brain, like, it's it's working at a GM level. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I really think that that is something that can be such a big breakthrough. So I don't know anyone who has a chess coach that doesn't say that I I've never met anyone who got coaching. It was like, actually, it wasn't really worth it. Mm-hmm. Everyone I know is like, this was the single thing that brought me to the next level when I got to that plateau. So that's probably the time to start thinking about doing at least a little coaching in your chess study plan. Yeah. And it's, for me, it's the thing that I get the saddest about once the school year starts during the summer. I take a lesson once a week. I'll take lessons with other people a couple times a week too, just to get as many ideas and feedback as I can. And then the school year comes and the coach is like, when's our next session? I'm like, I don't know, maybe two months from Monday. I don't know what to say. Like, it's impossible. Oh, as someone also on the academic calendar, Kevin, I feel for you. I really, really do. It's a, it's a tough calendar. But <laughs> guess what? It's almost June. Yeah. Well, I, I go, I, I'm at the university of Michigan, which has a terrible calendar, but the tiniest oh. little silver lining is that our semesters end at the end of April. Which what? Is cool. Yes. April? <laughs> yes. We don't get a winter break though. And it's when I say brutal, it's unbearable. So I don't recommend it. Actually, we get oh, oh, 10 days off. Uh, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, my, my summer schedule has already started. But I'm also defending a dissertation. In yeah, life, so. I remember those days. <laughs> those <laughs> I feel like I do remember. Stressful days for sure. Awesome. I did the UCLA calendar, which is like mm-hmm. the worst calendar because it goes all the way until the end of June. And you're like, what? Oh, that also doesn't sound ideal. That was, that was a frustrating calendar. Well, Julia, what a great guest. What a great podcast. I knew that you would be amazing and you no. did not disappoint. I hope so. Um, where should people contact you if they want to um, get a hold of you, maybe get some follow-up? I don't, do you offer therapy sessions for chess players? If someone lives in the state of Michigan, you actually can get therapy with me. <laughs> um, if you go through my clinic, I'm at the University of Michigan at the Mary Institute Psychological Clinic. Um, so yeah, I would be totally willing to do that. But um, yeah, where can people contact me? I will start off by saying no one <laughs> No one has to contact me. Um, I don't care if anyone follows me. There's no pressure. But if you're interested in anything I've had to say, um, I am on Twitter at Julia Rios. But more importantly, you should follow our pod. Our podcast is really cool. And I really like it. And I think it's good. Um, so we're at Chessfields Pod. That's what I do with JJ Lang. Um, so definitely check it out if you like what you heard. Uh, we, we we have a lot of <laughs> We have a lot of banter. So... Um, give it a listen. Yeah, it's uh, the most fun podcast that I've heard with chess. Hell um, yeah. There, there's a new podcast, like the Chicken Chess podcast with like super oh. high level GMs. And oh. they think that they're having fun. And I'm like, your idea of fun <laughs> is so different than like chess fields, which is, I don't know, like they're having like grandmaster fun and I can't yeah, quite yeah. understand grandmaster fun half the time. So 
I'm I'm happy to hear you say that. We are having a good time. That was kind of what we wanted to do. <laughs> Just uh, we're not trying to <laughs> make a product for anyone besides ourselves, but that's actually going really well. So yeah, it really is. Well, I'm glad you, you like can, it. You can catch me at uh, Dr. Skull on Twitter, uh, Dr. Skull underscore Tiny Grimes on Twitch. And uh, that's going to wrap it up today. I hope you had something you could take away from this episode. I hope this week you reach all your rating peaks. And if you don't, that's all right. Plateaus are normal. Don't worry. We'll keep on working through ours together. And I will see you next week. Have a great week, everyone.